0: The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Infernal Death of Duke Voronoff, Episode 3. Elizabeth breathed hard in the frigid air. She staggered as her boots crunched through snow. The powder had hardened into a fine crust, and Elizabeth could barely find her footing especially now that she was walking backward. Her arms were hooked through Olga's armpits, and she struggled to drag the servant's limp body across the barren meadow. Elizabeth boiled with anger. Why hadn't she been more careful? How did the old Russian entrap her so easily? There had been no need to go inside, especially if the man was crazy. Hadn't she been amply forewarned? Now she was a prisoner, lugging an unconscious woman, stepping clumsily in the ice, unable to even turn around and see where she was going. Voronov followed close behind, the rifle held in his naked hands, its stock embedded in his shoulder. His expression had mellowed. He looked tranquil, unconcerned, as if their grim procession were an ordinary hike in the woods. But not the woods, more like the cabin's backyard. The clearing was broad and open, flanked on every side with ranks of trees. Elizabeth had briefly noticed the single arbor standing alone in the middle of all that openness. As she blindly pulled Olga into the flats, the rope slung over her shoulder, Elizabeth guessed she was headed toward that lone tree. Then she saw it. Color. Just beneath the fresh layer of snow, the ground wasn't just white, but a subtle shade of red. Elizabeth looked around her feet. She was completely surrounded by that rusty stain. She noticed the trunk directly behind her. Its gray bark was splashed with pink Elizabeth lowered Olga's body to the ground. When she straightened, she spotted it. A human hand, pale as ivory and flecked with snowflakes, lying in the ice. The hand was torn off at the wrist. She could see the marks where teeth had bitten through flesh. Now, commanded Voronov, tie her to the tree. Panting, Elizabeth lay Olga in the bloody slush. She raised angry eyes at her captor. "'You've done this before,' she said, her voice quavering. "'You used a human being as bait.' Voronov raised the rifle. He closed one eye, aiming expertly at Elizabeth's head. She saw the guns opening, the black vacuum within. Voronov could pull his index finger and everything would be over. Those large-bore shells were designed to fell the biggest mammals on earth. She would barely feel her skull separating from her body. There wouldn't be so much as a tooth to identify her corpse. I will not ask you again, he seethed. Elizabeth unfurled the rope, yanking each stretch with adolescent pique, She then pulled Olga's bulk against the tree. The woman moaned with every lurch, but her eyes remained closed. The blood had smeared across her face, and the cartilage of her nose was knocked sideways like a fallen headstone. "'Who was it?' Elizabeth demanded. She threw the rope over Olga's shoulders and threaded it around the tree's narrow trunk. "'Who did you sacrifice?' Voronov sniffed. No one of consequence. Is that what Olga is? Elizabeth shot back, looping the rope into a competent bowline. Is she no one of consequence? The Russians' expression remained the same, but Elizabeth sensed his ambivalence toward the trusty servant. All those years at his side, caring for his daughter, maintaining their home— washing their laundry and cooking their meals, now thrown away like a sick pet. Elizabeth stepped back to survey her work. The ropes weren't taut, but they would hold. The knot was simple yet effective. Olga wasn't going anywhere. Take this, Voronov said, reaching into his pocket. Before Elizabeth could respond, he threw an object underhand, like a softball pitch. Elizabeth caught it, then examined the small ceramic jar. Open it. At first, the circular lid was stuck in place, but when Elizabeth's fingers pried it loose, sticky strands followed. A sweet scent issued from the jar. Honey. Pour it on her, barked Voronov. Suppressing her bitterness, Elizabeth upended the jar and drizzled its contents over Olga's coat. The viscous liquid bubbled on the fabric, a string of bronze colored pearls. Good, said Voronov. Now follow me, slowly. The hunter backed away, keeping his weapon steady. Elizabeth sighed, frustrated, but she followed in his footprints. At fifty paces, Voronov dug his heel into the snow and drew in a long circle. He gestured to the shape and said, ''Now you stand inside. If you stay, you live. If you step out, you die.'' Elizabeth obliged, planting herself in the middle of the oval. She breathed into her woolen gloves, but she didn't actually feel the chill. Fear had kept her warm, as did the strain of hauling Olga across the clearing. The overcast had faded above, allowing sunlight to pour through the treetops. The granular snow glistened around them, and the forest exhibited a mystical persona. If Voronov were not standing a few feet away, the threads of golden light would have enchanted her. Now what? Elizabeth muttered. Now, said Voronov, we wait. No breeze drifted through the gnarled canopy. No birds filled the air with song. The scene was silent and entropic. Now that Elizabeth was standing still, the cold invaded her coat once more, and she began to shiver. She didn't want to look at Olga, her stockinged gams spread wide. Her spine pressed against the tree, her arms bound in hemp. Elizabeth hated herself for leaving her there. But the deed was done, and there was nothing else to look at. She couldn't think of anything to say, not to such a taciturn kidnapper. Suddenly, Elizabeth sneered. Honey, she said. When Voronov said nothing, she turned around to face him. "'Isn't that what Sibyl fed the Cerberus in the sixth canto? "'Didn't she throw the hound a honey cake?' Voronoff smiled. "'For an instant, his bearded countenance seemed to flash with pride. "'Very good,' he said. "'You know your Dante well.' "'I like my comedies, Divine,' retorted Elizabeth. "'So I'm guessing you've seen this thing before.' "'Oh, yes,' said Voronov, "'the same, oh, yes, as before, "'the same haunting tone.' "'His smile did not fade, "'but he looked up, past Elizabeth, "'toward the blood-encrusted tree. "'Elizabeth did not feel invited to speak again, "'so she held her tongue. "'The man was lost in his own thoughts, "'and he'd clearly made up his mind. "'If anything was fruitless, It was bargaining with a fanatic. Yet, as the minutes crawled by, Elizabeth felt less threatened than before. Voronov could easily have shot her, or even lashed her next to Olga. There was no reason to keep her alive. Perhaps he still planned to shoot her, or even throw her to the dog, if the beast was even real. And yet, there was that paternal smile an admiration, perhaps. It was Elizabeth who had guessed the target of his obsession. His own daughter, who spoke his language fluently, had failed to name the creature he yearned to hunt. For a full year, he wanted to stalk these woods, to set his sight on a three-headed dog. Even if he could express that longing, who would believe him? Was this all for her benefit? Was it Elizabeth's curiosity that now kept her alive? Did the old man need someone to witness this moment to confirm the reality of his infernal dream? And what if she had guessed wrong or kept her investigation to herself? Would she be the one slathered in honey, groaning from a disfigured face, waiting for a madman's fantasy to emerge from the forest? There! Voronov rasped this one word, then fell silent. He descended to one knee, resting the rifle on his thigh. Elizabeth whirled around and glanced at the underbrush. At first, she saw nothing, only trees, shadows, emaciated brambles. But then she spied it, movement, a dark shape slinking into the light The first thing she observed was its musculature, dense and powerful, a masterpiece of canine curvature. The feet were not paws so much as talons, slicing nastily into the ice. A single tail swished in the air, topped with a black pom-pom, just like a lion's. And then, down front, the most shocking anatomy of all, three lupine faces. Their snouts were long and thick. Each head had its own neck, which conjoined at the shoulders. Red eyes glowed. The wide mouths curled, revealing jagged teeth. Their ears were long, bat-like, twitching eerily above long foreheads. They were not furry like wolves, but sleek and short-haired, Their shared body was colored oily black. Each head was autonomous, or at least used to be. The middle one sniffed the ground. The sinistral head was upturned, listening. But the dextral head did nothing. The cranium was blasted in half, and the frozen remains dragged in the snow, dead weight for the rest of its body to pull along. The head was mutilated, barely recognizable as a dog's. My God, Elizabeth thought. Voronov already took a shot at it. He even took one out. The animal prowled the edge of the woods, pacing back and forth. The middle head studied the clearing. It watched Olga, this strange human, perched against a tree. Still... The creature kept its distance. The dogs had been tricked before, and that trickery had cost it dearly. Elizabeth wondered how those three minds controlled the body, how they coordinated the four legs beneath them. Did it matter that one head had been blown away? Wasn't that the medical definition of death? When the brain ceases to function? Voronov spoke. It was a meditative mumble, and the Russian syllables meant nothing to Elizabeth. But his cadence was telling. He seemed to be speaking to the creature. There you are, you beautiful beast, perhaps, or Now I have you, my dark nemesis. But the words weren't meant for her. The hunter was sharing a moment with his prey, a cryptic communion that Elizabeth would never understand. Then she heard her own language. Lie down. Elizabeth turned back to Voronov. The man's eyes were wild with euphoria. His grin revealed a patchwork of yellow teeth. Again he ordered, Lie down. Slowly, Elizabeth sank to her knees, then spread herself across the circle. The ice chilled her chest and stomach. Her knees and thighs felt damp. She looked up, toward the anxiously striding Cerberus. She could sense the Russian aiming his rifle, and she was glad to give him a clear line of sight. But she didn't trust Voronov. Maybe he would spare her life, or maybe not. The Cerberus bounded forward. The two heads bobbed, their tongues lolling out as their shared body charged across the field. The third head smacked against the ground, carried by the other's momentum. Olga didn't move. Her chin still rested on her chest. When the animal reached her, the dogs sank their teeth into her shoulder and neck. Olga jolted awake. She howled in pain. The dogs wrenched her body in opposite directions, contorting her limbs and torso. Olga's scream was shrill, Ear-splitting, a grotesque appeal to live. Elizabeth wanted to cover her eyes, to turn away in disgust. But still she watched, the fountain of blood that poured from Olga's neck, the arm that seemed to dislodge from its socket, the fabric of her garments shredded like crepe paper. Her wails lasted only a few seconds. The middle dog ripped her head away with its powerful maw then gnawed at Olga's skull like a fresh bone. The Cerberus began to eat, dissecting the body with vicious appetite. But as the sinistral head continued its gory work, the middle head suddenly perked up. The dark face went still, like all alarmed animals, and its nostrils sniffed the air. The scarlet eyes gazed straight ahead The creature had spotted them. The hound's body tensed. The sinistral head followed suit, standing at attention. The body crouched low. The hind legs bent and flexed. All at once, the hunted transformed into a hunter. Seize the moment, Elizabeth thought. Varanov won't waste a shell on you. All he wants is the Cerberus. Go! Go now! Her legs seemed to move of their own accord. She rolled to her feet and sprinted toward the cabin, her boots thudding through the snow. She ignored Voronov's shout, and she rounded the back side of the building. But she didn't stop there. She reached the porch, then threw herself at the front door. It flung open, and she slammed it shut behind her, pressing her spine against the solid wood with all her might. She heaved with terror, barely able to gulp down the icicles of air. Elizabeth shoved the iron bolt into place. The door was locked, as locked as it could be. She then lunged across the living room, tripping over a chair, and grabbed the rucksack from the floor. She ripped it open and stuffed her fist into the tangle of provisions. With magnetic ease, The revolver found its way into her hand. Then she heard a bang. Outside, the elephant gun discharged like a bolt of lightning. Only a man as solid as Voronov could endure its kickback. A spindlier shooter would be knocked from his feet. The weapon was less a rifle than a piece of artillery, and the second shot put an ache in Elizabeth's ribs. But that wasn't all. Elizabeth heard a guttural shout, then the snarl of dogs. The voice of the Cerberus was deep and resonant, like the lowest chords of a pipe organ. It was like no dog Elizabeth had ever heard, and for a moment she could believe that the monstrosity had climbed from the depths of hell. The two forces locked in combat, but beyond Elizabeth's view, Hunter and dog wrestled on the ground, just below the foggy windows. Savage noises bled through the walls. Voronov let loose a tortured scream. The dogs growled in unison. Elizabeth stood in the middle of the floor, pistol clutched in both hands. The logs did little to muffle the commotion. The punches and tears, the thumps of flailing limbs, the harmony of shrieks and yowls. Elizabeth had no idea which way to go. Both contestants had threatened her life. Both were seasoned in the art of killing. In a battle to the death, Elizabeth couldn't tell which one she wanted to survive. She had only one choice. To wait. Gradually, the voices died down. The barking dissolved into whimpers. Voronov no longer called out. The writhing ceased. All Elizabeth heard was an occasional thump. One of them had won. The other had lost. Or had they both destroyed each other? Elizabeth shifted her weight, and she heard the floorboard creak. She blanched, terrified that even this small sound would give her away. Her eyes darted from window to window, but most of the shutters were still closed. There was no way to tell what was outside. Then she heard a noise. A boot on the porch. Then the slide of a second boot. Voronov. He was limping. Between the slothful footsteps, Elizabeth heard him groan. She heard his labored breaths. She heard him grab the iron handle. The door rattled in place. "'Miss Crown,' came a quiet voice. "'Open this door.' Elizabeth stayed put. As she inhaled, her breath roared like an ocean in her ears. "'It is all right,' cooed Voronov. "'The Cerberus, it is dead.' I have killed it. Elizabeth took a step toward the door. Are you sure? She called out. It is over, answered Voronov, a gargle in his throat. Open the door. I am hurt. I must... I must dress my wounds. Elizabeth waited a moment. Then she called out. All right, I'm opening the door. Please, Miss Crown, hurry. Elizabeth closed her eyes. She relished that moment of darkness, of quiet. She allowed herself to drift, lost in the forced blankness of her own mind. She opened her eyes. She lifted the gun. She pulled the trigger. Blast followed blast. Sparks flew. Bullets burst through the wood door. Splinters flecked off the rough grain. Beams of sunlight shot through the holes. At last, the trigger clicked in her hand. The cylinder was empty. There was nothing left to fire. On the other side of the door, Voronov's body clunked against the porch. Then, silence. My God, exclaimed Mr. Winch. You killed him. Elizabeth rubbed her hands together. The examination room felt drearier than ever, and she yearned to go home and sit by the radiator. But she nodded. Three bullets to the chest, two to the stomach. Mr. Winch whistled. Only missed once. Not bad, Miss Crown, for shooting blind. Elizabeth grimaced. I wish I hadn't had to shoot at all. Mr. Winch lit yet another cigarette and flicked the match into the corner. Well, sounds like it was him or you. Hard to say, said Elizabeth, but I wasn't waiting to find out. The coroner crossed his arms. How'd you get back, anyway? Did that driver pick you up, the feller with the mustache? Elizabeth pressed her hands into her lumbar, and she felt her vertebrae crack. I spent a long night in that cabin, she said. A snowstorm came through. When I woke up, there was a foot of fresh snow. The tracks were covered. Voronov was frozen where he lay. I found a toboggan out back and some spare rope. I put his body on the sled and towed him back to the road. It was slow going, but I made it i had no idea where i was that idiot driver never found me and good riddance i ended up flagging down a truck a real saint that teamster put the body in the back drove me into town no questions asked it was swell catching a glimpse of human kindness after all i'd been through next thing i knew i was here they stood there for a moment mr winch leaning against his workbench Elizabeth leaning against the wall. Between them, the mortuary table remained still. Underneath that sheet lay the mauled corpse of a madman. He had won, slaughtered the Cerberus with his bare hands. But at what cost? He'd abandoned his daughter. He'd lost his own life. He'd left Olga to die. And if not her, who else would he have murdered? What hapless hiker would Voronov have knocked unconscious and tied to that tree? And would the outcome have been any different? Wouldn't the forest still be strewn with bodies? You're right, by the way, said Mr. Winch. It is hard to believe, but I'll tell you what's harder to believe than a three-headed dog. Elizabeth smirked. Go on. That a dame like you, smart as a whip, would just walk into that man's house he sounded like a crackpot from the second you laid eyes on him if it were me the coroner shrugged well it wasn't but if it were me i'd have skied right by elizabeth felt tired she bit the inside of her cheek then turned toward the door i don't know mr winch you want to see a man through his daughter's eyes You want to see the good in him, even if the goods run out, even if he's turned to something else, something monstrous. Before you go, said the coroner, drawing a paper slip from his pocket, here's my card. If you ever need anything, anything at all, I hope you'll let me know. As Elizabeth accepted the card, he added, I think we're cut from the same cloth, you and I. Elizabeth smiled weakly. "Thank you, Mr. Winch." He saluted. "I hope you'll be in touch, Miss Crown." "Maybe I will," said Elizabeth. "Stranger things have happened." You've been listening to The Infernal Death of Duke Voronov by Robert Eisenberg. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Backpack Media, LLC. Music provided by Nalya Sakamata, Seximatic, and Eric Satie. Additional music provided by Kevin McLeod through an arrangement with Creative Commons. If you like what you're listening to, you may enjoy The Mysterious Tongue of Dr. Vermilion*, the first book in the Elizabeth Crown series. And keep an eye out for Ghost Bandits of Sonora, a brand new Elizabeth Crown novella coming out later this year. For more information about the exciting world of Uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net.